promised at the beginning of this program we were going to take this second segment and use it to look back over the past 10 years for some of the things we've been uh, pleased to bring you. So we have a mixed bag here of the uh, the humorous and serious, and I'd like to start with uh, something we did at the very beginning. We'd read a curious news item and uh, decided to bring on our legal correspondent, Steve Alexander, to reflect upon the item. When a Florida lawyer smashed his pickup truck through the entrance of his own gated community, lawyer Mac Greco Jr. said he was, quote, sick and tired, unquote, of having to identify himself at the gates to preserve his neighbor's, quote, prestige and property values, unquote. An expert said the incident was America's first case of gate rage. Are you Now, what are you looking for from me? You want a legal opinion or do you want my just general opinion? Well, how about both? Well, first of all, uh, there's no legal issue that you've presented. I do think that... He's going to be prosecuted for smashing the gate. Okay, so malicious mischief of some type. Here's what I think. Uh-huh. Uh, first of all, this is an example of a lawyer who happens to be a great person. This man deserves a medal. <laughs> for smashing the gate? For smashing the gate. Because you know what? When people buy into gated communities, they have no idea that they are going to be associating with a load of retired people who are like Gestapo. Busybodies. Busybodies that have uh-huh. nothing to do but run around and tell you that your hose is in front of their side fence. So this man, first of all, deserves a medal. By, by the way, are you, are you, is this the voice of experience? Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. I won't mention the particular subdivision, but i got to tell you. I mean, uh-huh. I'm the only guy known to man uh-huh. that has ever been cited by a homeowners association for failing to wash his garage door. And of course, we're very pleased uh, to be part of a community radio station that allows us to ask our friends and neighbors uh, to comment upon such things as the frustrations of a gated community. But we learned with time that you could actually go for guests of national stature, and they sometimes would agree to come on. Such was the case when we put in a request to Walter Cronkite, news legend, who regrettably passed away in the summer of 09. And by the way, almost all of what you're about to hear is available on our archives at radioparallax.com. You can go there and hear Walter Cronkite's interview in its entirety. But, uh, you know, we're excerpting some things here for you on this segment today. And I was especially taken when we asked him about his successor, Dan Rather. I assume he did well. He's stayed in there for all those years since 1980 to today. Uh, That exceeds my time by a year or two, or a year anyway. I think that's what Dan was clinging to, was the right to say that he was an anchorman on CBS News longer than any other correspondent. Uh, I was there 20 years or something to find a little more, and uh, he's, he's exceeded that. I congratulate him on his ability to stay in there despite a lot of years of difficulty. Uh, He's now about to step down, and I hope we give him a happy farewell. We had to laugh when we heard Mr. Cronkite say that because that has to be the very definition of damning someone with faint praise. I I know he didn't care much for Dan, rather, but I really have to admire how he sort of lets you know that... (laughs) while being very nice every inch of the way. We had a chance to ask him about anyone he would have liked to have interviewed, but never had the chance to. Interestingly enough, one of the people I would like to have interviewed would have been Hitler. I would like very much to have tried to probe what really made that man tick. 
we had at Mein Kampf, of course, that gave us some guidance, but uh, it left questions unanswered. I would like to really have had a chance to sit down with him, greet my teeth perhaps, but try to find out really how any individual could come to such a disastrous philosophy as that that he acquired. Another veteran from the old Tiffany network of CBS and its heyday, a man who I believe was one of the first people hired at CBS radio at that time by the legendary Edward R. Murrow, was correspondent Richard C. Hodlett. A friend of mine, Vince Winkle, said his father worked for the Christian Science Monitor and he could put us in touch with Richard Hodlett. We cold called him and happily he agreed to speak with us. Hodlett had returned to Germany in the 1930s to attend college. His journalistic abilities and language skills made him someone that uh, Ed Murrow wanted to hire. We asked him about his assignments in Germany in the late 30s. My second outside assignment was to go down to Tempelhof Airport in, in the, the heart of Berlin in uh, the latter half of March to uh, be there when Hitler returned to Berlin. And it was, you know, by comparison with everything that followed, everything was so monumental and, and sort of mass-produced after sure. that, he, he got off his little plane, it was a three-engined uh, plane, and, and uh, just stood there with a small group. Troubles was there with a small impromptu sort of speech of welcome. And there I was, about an arm's length away from him, wow. and, uh, and wondering, you know, he, I'd heard all this business about his magnetic blue eyes. Well, I looked into those blue eyes, nothing magnetic about him. We're sorry to know that Richard C. Heidler did not uh, get a chance to interview Hitler like Cronkite. By the way, that interview is not currently on our website, but we will do our best in the next uh, week or two to put uh, the audio file up for your listening pleasure. Anyway, it's certainly a great privilege for us to be able to speak with uh, a legendary newsman who was there on the tarmac with Adolf Hitler. A legendary reporter that uh, I'm sorry to say we did not bring on to Radio Parallax was Gary Webb. Gary Webb's classic investigative journalism piece for the San Jose Mercury, which investigated the connections of uh, the crack cocaine epidemic in America with the Iran-Contra war turned out, unfortunately, to be a career buster. Gary had been working for the Sacramento News and Review here when I spoke with him. He seemed quite amenable to coming on the program, but uh, alas, it was not to be. He grew despondent after that and did end his own life. We did a tribute program to Gary Webb many years ago, and as part of that, we invited onto the show Michael Levine, former DEA agent, author, and radio host, to reflect on his friend Gary Webb. And seated next to Gary was a, mem- uh, a representative, I can't remember his name, uh, but Gary and I, Gary remembered him very well. And he was a representative of accuracy in media, a very, you know, a right-wing uh, media watch organization, who leaned over to Gary before the camera went on and said, we've got plans for you, my friend. And... Uh, I leaned into Gary and said, you, you know, you expected this, didn't you? you? And Gary, well, he said yes, but Gary was kind of in shock. And I don't think these plans, were, you know, were anything more than the destruction of his career. Uh, I didn't then and I don't now. Gary and I spoke long about that. And again, I was 
sadly prophetic when I said, they're going for your career, you know. And they did get it. Michael Levine, thank you so much for talking with us. I hope that you will uh, return on, on, a, on a, a better occasion to tell us your story, because it is, it is quite stunning in its, in its own right. Thanks a lot, Doug, and I wish you the best of luck in, in your own journalistic future, which, just by putting me on the air, you're taking a chance, my friend. And no, after reviewing what happened to Gary Webb, we don't think Mike Levine was being overly dramatic when he talked about what can happen to people who want to follow stories that, well, let's say the powers that be would just assume you didn't. In fact, for more on that topic, we'd recommend Christina Borgeson's excellent book, Into the Buzzsaw, subtitled Leading Journalists Expose the Myth of a Free Press. It was a National Press Club Award winner, and we spoke to Christina several times about that in her other book, Feet to the Fire, the media after 9-11. Speaking of uh, burying stories, back in the late 1980s when Mordecai Venunu, a technician at the Damona nuclear plant in Israel, decided to tell the world that, yes, in fact, Israel does have nuclear weapons, he was arrested by the Mossad and put in prison for something like 18 years, I think 17 of which was in solitary confinement. Keep in mind that Israel's security was in no way damaged by the revelation of what everyone knew to be true. People just didn't want him saying it. So when Venunu was released from prison, we phoned him in Israel. Near the end of the interview, we asked him if there were any final messages he had for listeners here in America. I hope they will let me leave next April 21st, and I would be happy very much to come to the United States to speak, to preach the good news of ending nuclear weapons everywhere in the world and to make our world free from all nuclear weapons and protect this globe from nuclear disaster to have much more peaceful worlds and cooperating between all nations, all human race. Sad to note that Mordecai Veneno has not been allowed to leave Israel. Uh, part of his so-called parole violations involved speaking to journalists. So I guess uh, we were a part of that. But uh, we're cautiously optimistic that he will someday be allowed to leave, as he wishes. Closer to home, from Berkeley, in fact, uh, was a social commentator we've spoken to several times on this program, Michael Parenti. We asked him in early 2003 to critique the American media. Look at the treatment, for instance, of the Iraq war that's pending. Well, what they've done is made that war very acceptable through a process of normalization. Right. We get shows on TV. If the U.S. does invade Iraq, right. here's where the troops will do, and this is what they'll do, and these are the missiles we'll use, and they're very accurate, mm -hmm. and this and that says this. There won't be too much collateral damage, and this is going to happen, and, and this new new jet will be in place. Mm -hmm. Making After you watch you watch 15 <laughs> minutes of that, the war doesn't sound too bad. You know? uh -huh. I mean, you're getting all <laughs> fixed and ready for it, you know? You're, you're getting all attuned to mm -hmm. it, you know? And they haven't said, now mind you, uh, Doug, they didn't come out and say, we support this war, we want this war. And they don't do that. They just peel this all out and create that reality implicitly, that background reality that the, uh, the dangerous man in the White House wants. We thought uh, Michael Perini explained very well how it was that spin meisters can sometimes uh, turn public opinion in a certain direction. A man famous for commenting on this is Danny Schechter, and we spoke with him as well. They're really into managing perceptions to the best of ability, to the best of their ability. And they're very skilled at it. They are corporate marketing people and corporate advertising people. 
uh, they've been selling for years, and now they just have a new product named George W. Bush. Yeah, I think of that New York Times article by Ron Suskin last week where he talked about the Bush people sneering at critics who are, quote, fact-based, unquote. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they don't think that way. I mean, they claim to be faith-based, but they're actually very careful about their control of their message, how they reinforce it over and over again. And that's why this is a particularly scary time, because even though the facts, as, as you will, or information would seem to contradict the claims of the president, it doesn't matter. His base it doesn't pay attention to that at all. So you can tell people, you know, like the sky is falling, they'll believe it <laughs> if they hear it enough. And, that, and that's one of the scary things about our communication system today. People look out, you know, to, to hear things they already agree with. At any rate, we like to think that even though Mr. McMillan and I are not journalists by training, we are doing our best to bring you, the listener, the kind of things that you should hear about. But uh, uh, lest you be thinking that this program is always serious, au contraire. A lot of what we talk about is a great deal of fun. A few years back, the movie Seabiscuit came out based on the Laura Hildebrand book. Great book, not a bad movie. One of my neighbors, Debbie, asked me if I would like to interview uh, a jockey who had once ridden Seabiscuit. We jumped at the chance and got, got a lot of inside scoop about the world of horse racing. At one point, Frank mentioned a device called a hot shot, which I asked him about in more detail. What's a hot shot? I don't know if I should be telling this or not. Maybe you might have to edit this. It's a little electrical prod, about 500 volts. Uh-huh. It's about as big as two little flashlight batteries, pen light batteries, like a cattle prod. You weren't using those in the race, were you? I had used them. Okay. But uh, it's illegal, of course. Yeah. So, But they can't set me down now because I'm not riding anymore. Well, no, you're pretty. I think you're pretty much past the statute of limitations, Frank. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> And it was the last race of the of the season, uh-huh. and it was twelve o'clock midnight. And I had it on me; I used it, mm-hmm. and I win the race very easy, no problem. Uh-huh. I had no problem. But then I uh, I had it strapped to my wrist, and when I saluted the judge, my sleeve come down, uh-huh. and it was exposed. But he didn't see it. Lucky for you. Yeah, because I would have been ruled off completely. See, so that was a uh, kind of an experience with a hot shot. But they, they they used to use them quite a bit. So there, there, there was really a lot of cheating going on, like, like they show in the movie. That actually did happen a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, Frank, that's about all we have time for today. But thank you for reminiscing with okay. us about America's most famous racehorse, Seabiscuit. Okay, thank you. Frank was a delightful guest. I believe that his interview also is not on our website. Again, we will do what our, we can in the next few weeks to correct that. He was just a great pleasure to chat with. And we have to confess, there have been times when we, like The Daily Show and others, have decided to take the headlines of today and do what we could to improve upon them. We set out at one point to interview Mr. Emmett Buckley, who, according to our report, had recently won the largest settlement in court against the tobacco companies. Mr. Buckley, thank you for joining us. Were you surprised to win so large a settlement? Well, now, our understanding is the tobacco companies are going to appeal this ruling. (laughs) 
Well, sir, do you have any plans of what you're going to do with this large settlement? <laughs> well, Mr. Emmett Buckley, who recently won the largest settlement in court against the tobacco companies. Thank you very much for speaking with us on the program. <laughs> And going way back in our archives, uh, we have a bit to to share with you from our our first year on the air when Bill Clinton was still in the White House. Mr. President. Yeah, I'm here, Doug. How you doing? Thank you very much for coming on to Radio Parallax. Well, you're welcome. You know, I got a lot more spare time on my hands now that I'm, you know, not really a lame duck pretty much, so. Yeah. You know, I, I have time to go on shows like yours, and I, I appreciate you having me on. It's well, we're, we're just delighted to have you. Uh, what, what are your plans for, you know, come January 20th? Well, you know, I, I really am trying to plan, map this out, and uh, I have a couple of main options that I've narrowed it down to. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do one of two things. First of all, I may just retire to a farm. I, I mean, I think that just like well, Jimmy Carter do you, did. Do you have a farming background? Well, no. But technically, I don't. But I mean, I certainly have watched hours and hours and hours of, of Green Acres, and and I, and I just always loved that show. I mean, the Talking Pig, and you know, and you got uh, the Ava Gabor character. Oh, honey, you want some more hotcakes? You know, it was just all those sexual euphemisms going flying back and forth between those two. You know, are there, are there Oliver. Any, well, that's kind I love of a, that. That's an apt show, really, for you, a gentleman that wants to retire to the com- uh, country with a wife who prefers to be in New York. Well, you know, I you can't. It's perfect, isn't it? I mean, I really think so. I may my just goodness. do that. And my vision, though, is a little bit of a rewrite, I guess. I, I think that I would get myself a Filipino maid and. Have her give me back rubs, or maybe walk on my back once in a while. You know, I mean, a man's got needs, Doug. I mean, well, come on, let's face it. I mean, Hillary's going to be over in in New York a lot of time. Yeah, you know, for a lot of time, and I need, I need to be satisfied, like any ex-president would. You know. And later on, we decided to put a call in to Charlton Heston to see what he was up to lately. We'd heard he'd expanded out from his work for the NRA into some other areas. We were confused about something we heard about his efforts to promote landmines or something. Well, that is incorrect. I am not promoting anything per se. I, I'm just helping the ALMMA get a new positive message out to the general public. Who exactly is the ALMMA? The American Landmine Manufacturers Association, Doug. These are, the, these are America's manufacturers of devices that blow up when stepped on. That's what landmines do, Douglas. And besides, we're the world leaders in the field of touch-triggered chemical energy devices. Well, I've heard that the USA was number one in making landmines. Well, it's true, partner. The naysayers who don't think Uncle Sam has know-how in industry anymore have never seen the kind of quality product we export. It's amazing, Doug. So a dictator who wants to create a no-man's land around his palace can... Thank the can-do spirit still found in manufacturers of reliable and cheap contact explosives. Well, I didn't say cheap, Doug. If you want something shoddy, something cheap, you'll have to look elsewhere. Libya, Iran, North Korea make cheap knockoffs. I wouldn't touch them with a ten-foot pole myself. They're plain unsafe. Well, with all due respect, Mr. Heston, aren't devices that blow the legs off creatures unlikely enough to step on them inherently unsafe? Well, I can proudly state that the ALMMA made products that are the safest you can buy. They just go like a house of fire when you need them. Well, when do you need them? What? Well, when do you need landmines? 
Congress heard testimony indicating they had no utility for the Pentagon, and the Pentagon hired spokesmen to say they were useful to manufacture just the same. Well, they are. For whom? For the honest citizens of the world who'd wish to purchase them. It's a free country, after all. You can buy what you want. What, what are you doing to support ALMMA? Well, we're explaining to the public that our newest devices are not anti-personnel. That phrase sounds so negative. We want to be positive, Doug. And by the way, ALMMA has pledged not to market their products to children. So kids will not be targeted by the landmine manufacturers. No way, no how. No sales to anyone under 15. Well, if they're not anti-personnel, what are they pro? Well, we like to call them pro-pacification. Pro-pacification. Devices that blow whatever steps on them to kingdom come. Well, doesn't this sound better, Doug? (laughs) Well, I guess it does. You're damn well right it does. The American Landmine Manufacturer Association, we say... A case of mines a week. That's all we ask. They're good for the economy, and that is good for oh you, my. my friend. Responsible use, Doug. That's our motto. Responsible use. You wouldn't let your kids use the oven without supervision, would you? Or the chainsaw? You wouldn't let your granny stroll on the freeway, would you? Uh, no, I'm sure I wouldn't. All right. All right, for our final look back in this segment, uh, we had one guy we used to like to bring on the show quite a bit. It was our friend... Hollywood agent David Rosenblum, who was always getting involved in one scheme or another. Well, Doug, you know, I'm really excited to be, I mean, for the first time, I'm actually going to be hosting a show of my own. I'm in front of the camera now for the first time. It's, it's really, really a show. cool. Yeah, it's a show, Doug. I'm the host. A show. Well, well, it's an infomercial, you know, but it's a start. And, and I tell you, I'm very excited about this new infomercial. It's called Amazing Unbelievable Discoveries. Uh-huh. And what's, what are you going to focus in on? Well, you know, the first product that I discovered was this uh, unbelievable, simply stupendous product called Scurvy Be Gone. <laughs> Scurvy Be Gone. Well, as everyone knows, that it is an epidemic around this country. Scurvy? Uh, sec- yes, Doug. Scurvy. An epidemic. It is a scourge in this country, Doug. I, we, I was unaware of this. I am on a mission to, to eradicate it, and thank God I found this product that I can share with the world. And, and we got amazing spokespeople to be part of this. We actually got Senator Edward Kennedy to be a spokesperson from personal experience. Do you it's have wonderful. A, do you have a clip for us? We do. We're going to play it right now for you. You're going to love this. All right. Let's hear it. Welcome, friends, to another edition of Unbelievable Amazing Discoveries. We have here today uh, several people talking about their experiences with a wonderful new product called Scurvy Be Gone, which eradicates scurvy from the uh, from anybody who uses it. And we have first uh, uh, Mr. Senator uh, uh, Senator Edward Kennedy. Yes, that's right. It's a Senator Edward Kennedy. Yes, uh, Mr. Kennedy, I understand that uh, you are uh, uh, using the product Scurvy Be Gone. And I want you to tell us about your experience with it. Yes, I'll be certain uh, happy to, uh, David, uh, to tell you about my experiences with uh, the scurvy be gone. Uh, I was uh, uh, just a routine physical with my uh, doctor, and you can imagine my uh, surprise when he said to me, uh, Mr. Kennedy, you apparently have uh, a scurvy. <laughs> now, I, 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 the, the Kennedy family uh, apparently was rife with a scurvy outbreak uh, in Hyannisport, <laughs> probably brought in by some Republican mole. But uh, certainly after uh, hearing about the product, and using it extensively, uh, you know, for several hours, uh, the scurvy was gone. Well, thank you, Senator Kennedy. David, I got to tell you, I'm a little skeptical about this idea of, of an epidemic of scurvy. Well, I appreciate your skepticism, but Doug, I think it's because 
you know, this product is really selling like hotcakes and it's making a real dent. We really have seen scurvy decline <laughs> Dave, over the last few months. David, the, the, uh, with a medical background like as such as I have, I'm only aware of scurvy arising in people eating basically hardtack biscuit and salt pork on long sea voyages. Well, Edward Kennedy, as we all know, is a hardcore sailor, Doug, and he spent a lot of time on the seas, and I think that's how he caught uh, it. David, the Kennedy family may be a sailing family, but, but I mean, I'm yes. talking about like like Ferdinand Magellan-style hundred days at sea voyages to get yourself scurvy. Yes, and a lot of people, the testimonials we got are exactly of that type, and that's why they're buying it like hotcakes and giving it to their friends. People that go to kids. sea for a hundred days at a crack? Well, some people are taking it as like a precaution. You go on a cruise, take a little scurvy, be gone before you go on the cruise. You know, it really works wonders, and you know, there's no downside. <laughs> but if, you eat no, any, if you don't have scurvy, it doesn't hurt you. You, you know? eat any fruits or vegetables on the sea voyage, you're not going to get scurvy. Well, certainly we have found that if you take the scurvy, be gone in can them with fruits and vegetables it goes down even faster than than, than without it and, <laughs> right. and everyone's just loving it selling like hotcakes all right well good it. luck to you on that one well thank you anyway that was a look back at some of the things we've done over the past decade uh, i hope you enjoyed that uh, we, we certainly did let's take a short break i'm douglas everett you're listening to radio parallax